Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Well, hey, listen, we are closing out our Yoked series. How many have enjoyed this series over the last three weeks? Um, We are building stronger relationships. And what's cool about this series is I get to introduce our guest speaker, who has actually strengthened me. And uh, we've built a stronger relationship over the last few years. So my friend Jared Ellis and his wife Trin are here from E2 Church in Elk Grove. And I love this relationship because how many know often churches are in competition with one another. Pastors are jealous of each other. But we have decided, man, no, we're going to be in unity together. We're going to celebrate one another. And so a couple weeks back, I went and I spoke at E2 Church. And now I have the opportunity to introduce Jared today to speak to our church. He has spoken into me, spoken into our church. Our church is better because of him, because of my relationship with him. And so I want you guys to give a big old Project Church welcome to my friend, Jared Ellis. Come on, make some noise. Are you guys excited about what God is doing in your church right now? This is an amazing time to be a part of the project, and I am so grateful for what you guys have been able to accomplish here in this city. We know that at E2 Church, we are so inspired uh, by your generosity, by your sacrifice, and uh, we just can't wait to see what God is going to do. I do believe in honor, and uh, I am so grateful for your pastors. Can you put... good? Sweet. Uh, Let's do that again. Can you honor your pastors, Pastor Caleb and Chrissy? Uh, Really, they are. They've become such good friends to us, and we're so grateful for their lives, and uh, we say they're the prettier versions of us. And so uh, my beautiful wife is here, by the way. Uh, Babe, can you say hi to everybody? This is my wife, Trin. We got married two months ago, and we are living the dream We really are excited for what God's been doing in our lives. We moved into our new house this weekend, and so there's a lot of new things, and uh, we're excited to be with you guys today. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand up real quick, because I'm going to read God's Word, and uh, I just believe in honoring God's Word. Are you guys ready to receive the Word? Have you gotten something good from this Yoked Relationship Series so far? I'm going to set the record straight real quick. I am what they call a hollaback preacher. So when I preach, you need to, so you can say things like, amen, hallelujah, preach it, white boy, just got to say something, okay? I need to know that you're there. I don't do well in the quiet. Uh, But I'm excited to be able to close out this series talking about communication, and uh, I believe that this is the number one issue that relationships face, is how do we communicate with each other? And so uh, I believe that this is evident in this story in the book of Numbers chapter 20. Here's what it says. In the first month, the whole Israelite community, which was about 2.4 million people at the time, arrived at the desert of Zin. They stayed at Kadesh there. Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this morning. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in this place. God, we don't need information, we need impartation. 
We need you to change us from the inside out. God, we need a touch from heaven. So God, I pray that this morning as we talk about relationships, communication, and conflict, God, would you give us grace to be able to connect with one another in a way that would honor you, would bind our hearts together, and would ultimately glorify the name of Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you. We believe that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everybody that believes it, say amen. Amen, amen. Why don't you say this with me? Say this, sticks and stones can break my bones, but I got a word that heals me. Come on, can you high five five people and tell them you look so good in church today and you guys can find your seats. Sticks and stones. Relationships. We always love to talk about relationships. Uh, I've, been, I've been preaching for quite some time now, and uh, I'll tell you what. I thought I was really good at relationships until I got in one. Anybody with me? Anybody ever felt like that? I, I thought I was a really good communicator until I got into a relationship, and I learned that communication requires cooperation. Can I get an amen? It requires two people that come from two completely different backgrounds to figure out a way to relate with one another. I, I am obviously white, as you can tell. This is a shocker, I know. But I am white. My wife is Vietnamese. And uh, we come from very different worlds. I, I came from a family of three siblings. She has nine her family speaks Vietnamese. My family speaks English. We have different customs and cultures. And to be honest, it has been a learning journey for us to try to figure out how to do relationship with one another. And the learning never stops. Anybody in a relationship can say amen. We're always learning and growing. But, but the reality is, is that communication if we're going to do it well, if we're going to connect with one another, it requires cooperation. Two people that are willing to set aside differences and move beyond those preferences to connect with one another. The hard part about that is how do we deal with these differences? How do we deal with the fact that we're different types of people coming from different types of backgrounds, all looking for the same Thing. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, it tells us about the Israelites. And, and the Israelites, now, uh, I grew up in church, so I'm a church kid. Any church kids in the room, you grew up going to church, you know the VeggieTales theme song backwards and forwards, that's how you know. Like, I, I heard the stories about the Israelites my whole life. And so I always learned the Israelites were annoying, and Moses was anointed, right? The Israelites were complainers. And Moses was Christ-like. This is what I learned. But what I didn't realize was that whenever I read these stories, because I'd heard them before, I read it through the lens of what I had experienced and what I had learned before. And what I didn't recognize is that sometimes when we come into a situation, when we enter into a relationship, or when we're trying to communicate with somebody, it's really easy for us to blow past the context that somebody else 
is living in. I, this was most evident to me. I remember uh, my mom got remarried uh, a few years ago. We lost my dad to cancer when I was young. And so she remarried uh, what is now my stepdad. And uh, he, he and her, they dated for seven years before they actually got married because they had to blend families. So he had three kids, she had three kids, and they felt like the easiest way to be able to blend the families was to wait till the kids got out of high school so they could enjoy married life, right? So, so they decided to wait. They dated God's way. They, they did it the right way. And, and finally, once we graduated high school, uh, they got married. And it was really cool to watch their relationship blossom as a married couple. And, and uh, I'll never forget this one time I went home. Uh, I was in college at the time. I went home to visit my family, and I was hanging out with my mom uh, in the house. And, and I grew up in an Italian home, so, uh, of course, my little Italian mother, she's cooking, she's cleaning, she's doing 500 million things at once. She's on the phone. Remember the cord that was like 30 feet would wrap around the entire house? She's got the phone. She's got the food. She's doing everything all at once, and she's taking over the world. And I'm just sitting there in amazement watching her as she's getting ready for dinner time. Now, my stepdad... He uh, worked in New York City. My parents live in New York on Long Island. And uh, he worked in the city, so he had a long commute coming back from the city. And, and it was rush hour traffic, and it's frustrating, and a long journey. And so he's driving on his way back home to his, his wife, the newly married. He's excited. He can't wait to see his spouse. And I'll never forget what happens when he walked in the door. Here's, here's how it went down. So I'm sitting at the dining room table. My mom's at the stove uh, making the sauce for the pasta that we're about to eat. And, and oh, the door flings wide open as my stepdad comes home. And he takes his stuff and he throws it on the ground. Mistake number one, right, with my mom. Everything has a home in our house. Like everything has its place. Y'all OCD people, I know who you are. Like everything has to exist in its own spot. And he just throws his stuff on the floor. And Steve, you know, he's, he's not one for romantic gestures, but, but it had been a long day and he just wanted to be with his wife. And so he runs into the kitchen and there my mom is cooking the food. He spins her around, dips her, and just plants one right on the mouth. Now, I'm sitting at the dining room table and I'm like, dang, Steve, let's go. Romance to a T. Like, he's, he's got this on lock. And I'm like cheering him on, like, go, Steve, go. And, and what happened blew my mind because as he's kissing my mother, my mom puts her arms out, pushes him away, and says, honey. Now, the word seems like it's a term of endearment, but the tone communicated something very different. And she pushes him away and says, I need you to set the table so we can sit down. Now, I'm like, dang, ma, this guy just came home from work. He just wants to love his wife, you know, like he just wants to be a superhero. What are you doing? So, you know, I, I put my pastor hat on. I said, listen, Ma, come over here. We need to have a hard conversation, you know. Let's come over to the side. So I say, Ma, help me understand. This is kind of the lingo we use as pastors. It's like, it's, I call it, we pastor you. It's when, when we use this language to try to figure out what's going on and we make you feel good, but it's actually kind of a rebuke. I'm like, help me understand what you just did right there. Because... He's just trying to love you. Well, what do you mean? You're just pushing him away. And, and she looked at me. Guys, you ever, you ever realize that you walked into a trap? And it's like game over, but it's too late. You can't get out. She looks at me and she says, oh, my son, my child. Like, 
once again, terms of endearment, but the tone doesn't connect with the endearment. And she looks at me and she says, uh, you just don't understand. I, I've been cooking and I've been cleaning and I want to spend time with my husband. I want to sit and hear about his day. I want to connect and communicate, but I can't do that until we're able to sit down with dinner and relax. Now, it's crazy because these two people both wanted the same thing. They both wanted connection They both wanted to communicate. They both wanted to be with each other, but they were coming from two different worlds. And I think for so many of the conflicts in our relationships, the problem is that we are so aware of the context that we're living in that we disregard the context that someone else is coming from. In other words, if we want to communicate and connect in a godly way, we've got to learn how to consider the context. Say context. Context is so important, and it's important to this story because, to be honest, when I read this, I have my assumptions about who the Israelites are. They're annoying. They're complainers. They're ungodly. But, but oftentimes we disregard people because we're unwilling to look at the context that they've been living in. If we go back into the story, we read in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, it says, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived in the desert. If you live in Sacramento, you know how hot it can be in the desert. A whole group of people are in the desert wandering in the wilderness. They've been given a promise from God, yet they're not there yet. Have you ever felt like this before? You're not where you used to be, but you're not yet where you're going to be. Going to be. Come on, church. Is there anybody that's stuck in the process of a building project right now? You know that the end is in sight, but we're right here, and sometimes that's the most frustrating place to be in. It's the most frustrating season to be when you're found in the wilderness and you're wandering. And it's not only that they're wandering. The Bible says that there was no water for the community. Hit your neighbor, say, you thirsty. Listen, singles. You are not yourself when you're thirsty. Some of y'all answer DMs you should never have responded to when you are thirsty. You do not think the way you're supposed to when you're thirsty. And the Israelites, they're thirsty. They're frustrated. They're tired. And that's the context they're living in. And it's so easy to overlook their surroundings because of the sorrow that they're causing Moses. But consider the context. These people are not in a great season of life right now. Moses has a context. The Bible says that in this chapter, Miriam died and was buried. Do you remember who Miriam was? That was Moses' sister. Moses is walking through grief and pain. And what happens when we don't consider the context is we rush to conclusions too quickly. Two people, two groups of people, both in pain connecting with one another through pain. And when we don't consider the context, we rush to the conclusions about who these people are. And what I think is so interesting, and I'm going to go there because I have a little bit more time in the 1130, is that that the, the Israelites, yes, they were frustrated and thirsty, but Moses was experiencing loss. And it's really easy to disregard the pain of leadership because all we see them do is lead. 
And so we demand grace from our leaders, but we deny grace to our leaders. It's so important to understand the context of what the person is experiencing in the relationship that you're in. Maybe there are things that you don't see and don't recognize right now. But when we're connected with one another, we must consider the context. Say context. Numbers chapter 20 verse 3, it goes on. The, The Bible says they quarreled with Moses. They fought with him and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you, say you, bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we, say we, and our livestock should die here? Why did you, say you, bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain, no figs, no grapevines, and no pomegranates. Some of you get it. There's no water to drink. You did this to us. Have you ever felt like that before in your relationship? Maybe you said it. You did this to me. This was your fault. This child was your fault, right? We blame and we point out the problems that we have to other people because the reality is that when you come into a relationship, you come in with past experiences. And your past experiences develop what we call assumptions. And it's really easy to navigate relationships with negative assumptions. It's really easy to come into the context of community and friendships and family thinking the worst because we've been hurt before. And so how can we keep ourselves from getting hurt again? We build assumptions based on our past experiences. I grew up as a middle child. Any middle middle children in the room? Yeah, dysfunction 101. We'll teach you about it. Because we were always the ones that were picked on, right? The older kids, they got the privileges. The younger kids, they got spoiled. Where did it leave us, middle kids? We got nothing. We got picked on our lives. That, that's what we were. See, I, was, I had OCD growing up, and so I was the kid that woke up on Saturday morning with pledge in one hand and Windex in the other, and I would clean my room. This is what I did for fun. I'm telling you, Dysfunction 101, I'll teach you. So I would clean my room. I organized for sport, and this is what my brother and my sister would do. They would come into my room after I would clean, and they would move everything just so slightly so that when I walked in, I would have a panic attack. Like, who came in here? Why is everything different? This is what has caused this trauma in my life now that I'm always thinking that somebody is after me. I'm paranoid because of it. That's why whenever something changes in my house now that I live with somebody else, I know who did it because it wasn't me. Sometimes Trin will do the laundry, and I'll tell her specifically, there are certain shirts, Trin, that cannot go in the dryer, okay? I'm going to Project Church on Sunday with the pretty people. I got to have my shirt looking good. And she puts it through the dryer, and it's like a schmedium now, and everybody see, I can't wear this to Project Church. You did this to me. You wanted me to look dumb on that stage. Welcome to our relationship. Sorry, it's getting awkward in here. It's so easy to come in with the negative assumption that you did this to me because you have evil intentions behind those eyes I'm looking at right now. 
and don't we do this to the people that we're closest to? It's crazy that we do this to the people we love the most and the ones we know the most. We assume the worst. Guys, for us, we, we crave respect. We want to feel like we're the man, like we're the hero of the family. And so, wives, when you do something that makes us feel stupid, we don't assume they, that you love us and that either it was a mistake or maybe it's a miscommunication. We automatically assume you want to make us look dumb. You want to make me look stupid. You, you, you intended to do this. And this is what happens when we allow our past experiences to develop our negative assumptions. We walk around in our relationships believing the worst about everybody. And here's what assumptions do. Negative assumption leads to unnecessary aggression. You did this to me. You hurt me. And I'm going to lash out at you because you stripped me of my power and I need power back. So what am I going to do? I'm going to blame you. And what blame does, blame offers us a way of escape. Because then I don't have to take responsibility for it. Sometimes it's the devil's strategy to divide and we're blaming the person in the relationship. Sometimes it's God's sovereignty that has allowed this dysfunction or this difficulty to develop us and we're blaming the other person for it. Sometimes it's my own responsibility and I'm blaming the other person for it. But blame helps me escape into my assumptions about the world so I can protect myself from ever getting hurt again. But here's what Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely whatever is admirable, if anything is anything, spouses, if there is an inkling of anything praiseworthy, they might have done every 99% of it they got wrong, but there's 1% right. The Bible says if there is anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. You can't remove assumption, but you can replace it. And instead of living with a negative assumption about everybody that you want to hurt, and this is, a, maybe we need to replace the assumption with what God calls us to replace it with. That I'm going to look for the gold in you. I'm going to look for the best. I'm going to assume the best. Coming into this scenario, I'm going to believe that your hard intention was right. Not that you led me into this wilderness because you want to hurt me. Maybe God's doing something that I don't see. Numbers chapter 20, verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Have you ever had a fight so bad that you had to exit for a little bit? And I love this. It says that they left and they went into the tabernacle. They fell on their face before the Lord. And God met them in their grief. Can I just encourage somebody right now that feels so broken? And so distraught, you feel like there's no hope for your relationship, for your marriage, for your family. God will meet you in your grief. But sometimes you have to leave long enough to be able to listen. Now, I'm not talking about leaving like storming out the door, peeling out the driveway and trying to make the person pay. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that some of you in the room are like me and you're talkers. Italians, we, we argue for sport. We know how to do this. And we'll get into arguments, Trent and I. And I, I, oh, I'm, I'm hitting it. I'm like, oh, that was a good point. That was a good one. And I'm talking and I'm talking. But here's what I've learned recently, and it's blowing my mind. I've just learned this in the past few months. Did you know that you can't listen while you're talking? 
crazy. I'm, I, I'm telling you, it's changing my life. You can't listen while you're talking. And some of us, we talk so much that we never listen. And in my family, the way we dealt with conflict, maybe your family's something happened and you never talked about it again. You pretended like it never happened. And in my family, we sat down and had a family meeting for three hours to talk about everything and anything we could possibly talk about. I was making up stuff to talk about because we were talking so long. This was my family dynamic. And so what it's done, it's, it's taught me how to deal with conflict immediately. We got to deal with this now. We got to talk about it now. And although that is great, sometimes, can I be honest, it also can be a form of control and manipulation. That it has to be on my time and on my terms. And what Trinis taught me, my beautiful, perfect wife, is that sometimes for me to listen, I have to step back for a second and take five to realize that maybe all I'm hearing is my own pain and my own hurt, but I'm not hearing her and I'm not hearing the Holy Spirit. Because who wants to invite the Holy Spirit into your argument? Um, hold on, babe, one second. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. <laughs> like nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to break up their point, especially when you're arguing really good. Like, yet God has an opinion about that argument. And the Bible says that Moses, he left and practice James chapter 1, verse 19, which says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Can I be honest about my own stuff for a second? Anger is really easy for me. If I do not learn how to exit the scene for a moment and evaluate it according to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says Moses left, Moses left the scene and he paused and he prayed. That would help so many of us in our relationship if we could just learn to pause and pray. Hold up. Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? What do you want to say to me? And every time I do this and I ask the Holy Spirit to tell me what she needs to hear, he never talks to me about what she needs to change. He always tells me what I need to change. That's not fun to hear because that means I have to take responsibility for my own dysfunction and for my own stuff. And here's what God says to Moses as they're face down, they're distraught, they're discouraged. The Lord says in Numbers chapter 20, verse 7, he said, take your staff. You and your brother gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. You know what the enemy will always do? He will always put your eyes on your pain and your problem. Look at what they did to you. Look at what they took from you. Look at what you don't have. Look at what was stolen from you. And God, whenever God is consulted with about our conflict, God never points our eyes to our pain. He points our eyes on our power. And he says, take the staff. The thing that I put in your hand, the authority and the influence and the responsibility that you have, take what you've got in your hand because the only person you can change and control 
is yourself. Take what you got and go back to those people with authority and accountability. Take your brother Aaron with you. You need somebody else to confirm that you're hearing the Lord. Because anybody can go into a conflict and say, God told me, trump card. What am I supposed to say to that? God told you. But when I have accountability and other people in my life that can say, that's what the word of God says. That's what the Lord, that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. Then I have power in the relationship. I have authority to instill change. And so Moses has an encounter with God and he hears the voice of the Lord. You are powerful, not powerless. You can make a change. You're not alone. So Numbers chapter 20, verse 9, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. In obedience, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in the front of the rock. And Moses, out of love and compassion, he spoke to the people and he said, Listen, you rebels. What? Hold up. How did we just go from this great moment with God to listen, you rebels? It's kind of like that moment where that person looks at you and says, I don't even want to see your face right now. Because your face is making me mad. When I look at you, it reminds me all of the pain and the offense and the hurt. Because anybody can be a good Christian in their prayer closet. Like I am super holy in the morning when I haven't met anybody yet. I got my coffee. I got Bethel music playing and I'm worshiping and I'm levitating off the ground because of the holiness around my life. It's like... I'm the perfect Christian in my prayer closet. And then I get around people. And it's like, where did that go? Because <laughs> Christianity isn't about being in a prayer closet and practicing it with nobody around. Real Christianity is about community and practicing what you preach in front of people who cause you pain. Even the haters especially the haters, especially the people who criticize you, especially the people who misunderstand you. And here's what I've learned. If you don't rehearse your lines before you get to them, you will regret what you say. If the first time you say, I forgive you in front of them, if that's the first time you say those words, most likely those words are not going to come out of your mouth. And what Moses didn't do and what he should have done is while he was walking from the place of, place of prayer to the place of praying, pain is he should have started practicing his lines. I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. We're going to make it through this wilderness. I know, I, I know that I've assumed the worst about you, but I'm going to believe the best in you. And, and the problem is we don't practice our lines before we get to the place of pain. And so what comes out of us is more pain. And he looks at them and says, listen, you rebels. You want water? I'll give you water. And he takes the authority and the power that he has. And he strikes the rock twice. And I think for many of us, the problem in our relationships is we haven't learned how to manage the moment. Because the moment is what matters. The moment between you and your spouse, the moment between you and that significant other, other, the moment between you and a family member, that moment is what matters because it takes a lifetime to develop integrity and it takes one moment to lose it. And when you live 
and you speak out of pain, it can be the very thing that keeps you from your promised land. I think even in the body of Christ, we're striking what God called us to speak to. But Pastor Jared, the water came out. We got what we were looking for. Yeah, well, just because you got a product doesn't mean you've been productive. And now you think your marriage is fine because you're still together, but there's no connection. You think your relationships are good because they're going the way you want them to go. You got the product you were looking for, but, but it came the wrong way. And I was thinking about this because I was thinking about sticks and stones and why we use them and what they are in our lives. And I believe that many of us are holding sticks because we feel like the people in our lives are stones, unreachable and immovable. I can't get through to my husband. No matter what I say, no matter what I try, he won't listen, he won't do what I'm asking him to do. So what we do is we take a stick a piece and a part of something that is whole, but we take the parts that we like and the pieces we can handle. Parts of the story, half-truths, and we start striking each other instead of speaking to one another. Husbands, one of the things, one of the sticks that we love to use is, wives, submit to your husbands. Well, the Bible says, submit, submit. And we strike with our words and we strike with our actions, but it's just a piece of the puzzle because if you realize the roots, they say, submit one to another. But it's so much easier to hold on to that stick, to beat what we believe over the heads of those who we don't feel like will listen to us truth is we need to stop striking what God has called us to speak to how do we do this because it's all we know because I was thinking about this Moses was commanded by God just a few chapters earlier to strike the rock if you remember there was a story where God said go hit the rock and water will come out he was just doing what he knew to do because that's what we do in relationships we go back to the past experiences and the pain and the things we used to know the things that used to work and we, we do what we did before but sometimes what happened before is not what God is calling you to do now and I began to ask the Holy Spirit this week God why why did you call Moses to strike the rock one time and speak to it another and then I began to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 that spoke about this story. And it said that the Israelites drank from the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Why did God tell Moses to strike once and speak another? It's because only one rock, one time, needed to be stricken. And after the rock was stricken, now we have a better word to speak. You see, in our relationships, we're all experiencing pain and hurt, and so we feel like somebody has to pay for it. Somebody did pay for it. 
And now we can stop making the people that are around us pay for the very things that Christ paid for. He was stricken so that we can now speak a better word over each other. Sticks and stones, they break bones, but I've got a word that heals me. And when I receive the word of God, when I speak the words of life, it can bring healing and a hope to hurting relationships. This is the hope we have in Jesus. But we've got to stop striking what he's called us to speak to. Would you stand to your feet in this place this morning? I want to pray for you and believe that today God would speak a better word over your life. Maybe you've been the one that's been hurt. Maybe you feel like the rock that's been beating the head over with truth. But I want you to know this. He was stricken so that you could be healed. He was broken so that you could be restored. And so in this place, I want to pray that today God would bring healing to you, healing to your relationships. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you this morning. Jesus, right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and mend every broken part. Would you heal every broken piece to our hearts God we need you we need you in our relationships we need you in our lives we need you in our minds we need you in our hearts God today would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and as we worship you would you send your spirit down to fill us up so that we might honor you in every relationship that we would stop striking and we would start speaking life in Jesus name we hope this word encouraged you today if you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.